Welcome to Liberty Monks Podcast. James Mundy here. And as always, Brother Mike Mundy is in the house. How are you feeling tonight, Brother Mike? Good to be back, my brother. It is good to be back. So a little housekeeping before we get started, because obviously we had a, a bit of a break here between the last episode and now. Um, so we obviously owe some type of an explanation. Um, as most of you might realize, our last episode was at the end of May. Um, it was not intended on being that long of a break, guys. Um, it was family and personal circumstances on our end that turned into that you know, turned two weeks into three months. <laughs> and uh, like I said, not intended. We had some circumstances come up that were very unexpected and it delayed us from getting back with all of you. Um, so to everybody out there right now, just thank you for understanding. Um, you know, the only thing left to say beyond that is we are back and we are stronger than ever here. And uh, we're going to be back, uh, hopefully moving forward. And uh, just thank to, thank you to everybody for sticking with us. We greatly appreciate you more than we could possibly tell you. So that being said, um, time for the main event tonight. We have an awesome guest tonight that we're very excited to talk to. Um, we have Chris Weatherman, also known as the Angry American. He's the author of 22 published works as of right now, including uh, USA Today's best-selling uh, book, Forsaking Home and Resurrecting Home. Both of those books are on the bestseller list. Uh, his books include the Survival series. These are phenomenal, by the way. Um, I've listened to two of these books. I know, Mike, you've listened to the two first ones. They are they are as as done as well as you could have them done. And if you listen to the audio books, that is awesome too. Um, so can't say enough about that. And um, Chris has sold like a ton of copies. Mike, he's uh, Going Home was the first book out of the series, and uh, that sold, I believe, over one million copies worldwide. Chris's latest release, Engineering Home, was number one on Amazon, new release charts in dystopian fiction, dystopian science fiction uh, at its debut. And um, it was also number two in the Amazon bestseller chart, only behind George Orwell's 1984, ironically, uh, upon Engineering Home's release. Never heard of it. <laughs> right. And then also his latest work, um, Charlie's Requiem Contagion, uh, a book uh, five in a series that he co-authored with Walt Browning. And the release date of that was June 6th of 2023. He has a podcast called the Angry American Nation Podcast. And uh, also there's going to be a new website launching for Chris. And that is going to be, I think, on October 2nd is projected uh, release of his new website. So we'll get into all of that as well. And he's got a book 12 coming out too, which is very exciting in the Survivalist series called Exploring Home. So pre-orders for that book are available uh, October 2nd is the projected date for that and then a release date of early December. So now that we've gotten all that out of the way, that awesome resume, let's bring in the <laughs> man, the guest of the hour. Chris, welcome to Liberty Monks, brother. What's happening, guys? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, too. I mean, I, your intro, man, that that, that that hits you like right in the feels, that intro does, so that's awesome. <laughs> hey, man, greatly appreciate it. Greatly appreciate that. Hey, listen, we've been, um, we, as soon as I found out about you, brother, um, I found out uh, from actually a friend of mine who lives in Florida, who trains police officers and he's really big on the survival gear stuff, you know, like the bags and everything and, mm -hmm. and prepping and everything. And he was just, he came up to visit with his family from Florida and Michigan. And he was telling me about this awesome book series that I just had to listen to because Mike and I have had these discussions around, you know, gosh, you know, if the shit really does hit the fan, you know, what do you do? You know, and how do you how do you prepare for for things to go wrong where you're, you're used to all these things being so easy to get or places that are easy to get because we have transportation and all that? What if what if that was taken away? 
And it really got us thinking about just how unprepared we are personally. And then obviously, you know, there's probably a lot of other people that feel the same way. And then, you know, my buddy Zach tells me about your books and I got hooked right away because man, I'll tell you what it is. You, if you start listening to these books, you get hooked almost immediately because there is no dull moments in these brother. No dull moments. About 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it escalates quickly because in, in the real world, as we well know, it, it will escalate quickly. So yeah. I tried to keep it as realistic grounded as possible. Yeah. Honestly, was what I was looking for. So, so give us some insight, man. I mean, obviously your books are, um, they're in the fiction section, although, you know, there's a lot of factual information in them as far as, just not only items, supplies, but also just how things may unfold, you know, in certain circumstances. So get, mm -hmm. give us the rundown, man. Why did you start? Let's, let's start with the Survivalist series. Why did you start that book series? What what inspired you to do so? Well, I was, uh, at the time, I worked in jails and prisons all over the country, uh, primarily the Southeast, but I traveled a lot. I spent a lot of time in hotels. And, uh, and I'm not a guy to go hang out in bars. It's not my scene. I don't like it. So... I actually started going home one night on a whim after reading some other stories on a forum and decided to write my own. And, um, and that day I had returned from a facility in Georgia and I just used the route I drove home as like my way of war game. And like, if that happened, if something like that was to occur and I was that far away from home, what would I do? And I carried a bag in my vehicle. I carried a firearm in my vehicle, even though that was a huge no, no, <laughs> cause I was always going to jails. Um, but it stayed in my vehicle or it got left in a hotel safe where I went to facilities. Um, but it was really just a way for me to war game it. And it took on a life of its own so quickly and, and so fast uh, with the response from the people reading it. Like the first night I wrote like 5,000 words. That's a lot. All right. That's, that's a big day of writing. Yeah, it is. And, I, and I did it in like two and a half hours. Too. Like it was just pouring out. Posted it and went to bed. Didn't think nothing about it. Next day, I'm driving to work. I pull out my BlackBerry. All right, dating it. You know, this is, mm -hmm. we're going on 14 years now. Um, and pulled the forum up. I'm sitting at a red light. Whoa, there's just dozens and dozens of responses. And so I kept running with it. And it was a very unique situation in that I was, I always knew what the people reading were anticipating or thinking because they're all talking about it. And I'm in the comments with them. You know, we're having fun. Um, and so I always knew what they anticipated or expected, and I never gave them that, not ever. I always made a left turn where they're expecting a right or whatever um, and threw them off. And, and so that immediate feedback as a writer in the process of writing was really interesting, even though I didn't recognize it at the time for what it was. Because to me, it was just fun. I was just having fun. Sure. I never intended to publish this. And, um, and it was the people on the forum, actually, that pushed me. And I kept saying, no, no. I said, I'm no writer. Nobody's putting money for this garbage. I said, here, I'll write you another one. And so I wrote Surviving Home on the same forum. Well, right before I kind of started that, got into it, one of the members that posted my PayPal account, he's like, let's send him money. We'll make him do it. And people did. They sent about $4,000 to me. Wow. And I, was like, I was like, well, shit. I said, all right, guys, look, if you want the book that bad, I'm going to get it made into a book so you get your signed copies if you'll just leave me alone. I, I still wasn't taking it serious. So I paid a lot of money, way more than they sent me. Got ripped off. They did a terrible job. The first edition of the book is horrible, but it was in hardback. Um, and it hit Amazon as part of that deal. And the first month on Amazon, it made a quarter of my annual salary. And so I was like, Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it just exploded. Um, and six weeks after I self-published it, Penguin books, it was just Penguin at the time. Um, or plume of Penguin. Now it's Penguin Random House, but, 
they called and made me an offer, which I turned down. And they it blew their minds that they couldn't believe I said that, but I did. And uh, two weeks later, they called me back, and I was on vacation with my wife up in, in, in the, the the great state to be from, Ohio, and I mean from, um, in the basement of a house up there, getting pretty liquored up. So I was doing it, so I was avoiding her family. And he called me again, and uh, he said, uh, "He's like, I bet you never thought you'd hear from me again." And I was like, "Man, I stopped thinking about about you when I hung up on you last time." I'm like, "What do you want?" He's like, I got a new number for you. And his his new number was orders of magnitude larger than their first offer and for a multi-book deal. And I'm not stupid, so I took that. And right. that changed everything. Uh, but it wasn't easy because I even, seeing it was a thing now, I was starting to take it serious. I had already had a contract to do the audiobooks. And when Penguin came along, they're like, hey, we want this, but we want the audio too. You need to call Podium Publishing, who currently doesn't. They had the original contract. Uh, you need to call them and get them to release it to it to us. And so I called them and they're like, we don't want to do this. They're like, we understand how big this is for you. So we're going to do mm -hmm. it. So I did five books with Penguin. Um, everything was great. I was really happy with it. Uh, the guy that, that, that Penguin was my contact. His name was Phil Budnick. He was an awesome guy. Um, I took him to shows like prepper shows and stuff. And, uh, and, and it was a whole a world he had never even seen. And he told me repeatedly, he's like, I've never dealt with an author like you. I said, that's because I'm not an author, man. I, I'm, I'm just a, I'm a storyteller. I'm just a redneck that tells stories, you know, and uh, but he said it was a unique experience for him. And then he moved on and they replaced the head of publishing at Penguin. And we were negotiating a contract for three more books. And, and he severely offended me by something he said to me out of like completely out of pocket. The guy was wrong. And I called him on it. And uh, and as they say, negotiations broke down. And it ended up with me screaming for them to go fornicate themselves in the corner. And I hung up the phone. And then my knees got weak and I sat down because I had just walked away from hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and literally, I'm sure somebody at Penguin called Podium because two hours later, my phone rings and it's them. And they're like, hey, man, our biggest regret is letting your books go. If we can ever work together again in the future, we're here. Know that. And I'm like, funny, you should call today. Told them what happened, and they're like, "We'll send you a contract right now." And no I was kidding. like, "Well, oh yeah, immediately." They're like, "We'll send you a contract today." And uh, I was like, "Well, thing is, we can't change narrators." I said, "You guys got to keep the same narrator." They're like, "That's not a problem. We'll, we'll do that." And I'm like, "Well, so this is contract world. So if it's not on paper, it didn't happen." Yep. I said, "So I need it in paper." And they're like, "Well, we can't negotiate with him without a contract from you." And I said, "Fine. Send me a contract with a 72-hour sunset that you acquired Duke to be the narrator. And if you do that, we're good. If you don't, we'll." talk again they're like done by the time i walked into my office and sat down i had the email i printed it signed it scanned it sent it back to him 9 a.m the next day they called me he's in it was it was a done deal like that fast yeah and uh and and audio is fantastic and duke's great i mean he mispronounces some stuff and i got some <laughs> a few, a few things only floridians would notice brother <sighs> and and they argued with me like penguin sent me a list of words <laughs> like umatilla and some of the different Florida words. Yeah, yeah. And I recorded an audio file of how to pronounce them and sent it to them. And then they called me to argue with me about Umatilla. They wanted to call it Umatilla like they do. And I'm like, no, I said, it's Umatilla. They're like, well, we call the post office down there. And that's how they answered the phone. And I'm like, well, I don't care how that Yankee working at the post office answered the phone. That's not how we say it. And but they did it anyway. So I'm gonna have Duke on my podcast in the near future. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna Discuss that. That and his pheasant rifle statement. 
talking about a Mosin again. I called it a peasant rifle in the book. He read it as pheasant rifle. What the hell is a pheasant rifle? But anyway. So, <laughs> so that's that's how it all started. Um, no kidding. That's, yeah. So, <laughs> yes. so, so, so paint, paint the picture then, because when you start the book out, um, you know, the, the whole premise of the book starts out where this character, Morgan, is away from home on a business trip. And... Mm -hmm. He's he's a prepared guy, right? He yeah. it's not like he was expecting something to happen that day, but he goes out of his house prepared in case something happens. He takes his we call them bug out bags, but whatever survival pack, whatever you want to call it. Ruck. Um, I just it's my ruck. My ruck goes wherever I go. You know, there you go. All right. It. So that so he, you know, he's he's out and about and in this and this is a topic that we've discussed on our podcast before with um actually I don't know if you've ever heard of uh Dr. the late Dr. Peter Vincent Pry. But oh yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Pry unfortunately passed away about a yep. year or so ago, um, but he was the executive director of the task force on national and homeland security and the director of the U S nuclear strategy forum. And he was doing presentations uh, all over the place about the threat of an EMP or mm -hmm. a Carrington event, you know, another mm -hmm. uh, event yep. where you have a solar flare from the sun and it yep. disrupts the magnetosphere and the whole nine yards. Right. And it blows out all the power everywhere and electronics and whatnot. So, Kind of paint us the picture, man. What? How does the book start out? Just so give give people a frame of reference here of, of what to expect if they listen to Going Home and then the subsequent books. Well, the, all writers, you, you you base what you write off of what you know. Mm -hmm. And so that story was essentially me war game. And in my head, how would I respond? And I didn't want everything to be too convenient. And I, and, and uh, we'll, I'll tell you a little story, side story to this in a second. So that day that I started writing that, I'd been in Thomasville, Georgia, working on their jail and drove home exactly the route that Morgan walks home. And so I just use that as the, the starting point for it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so he, he figures out quick because like me, I'm very in tune to what's happening in the world. I, I follow not the news, but media in general. So, you know, I watch what's happening around the world and I'm aware, very aware. Um, so I'm not going to be one of those people who's going to be slow to react, you know. Um, there's that old axiom about, you know, the organisms that can most rapidly adapt to change are the ones that will survive. And, and I take that to heart. So um, I like to be aware and ready, you know? And so Morgan realizes it quickly, especially when he watches airliners crash in the distance, just falling out of the sky, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and he figures things out pretty quick and he knows he's, he's got to get home and he knows he's a long ass way from home. And a lot of people in the book complained about his ruck. So his ruck weighed 65 pounds. I know that because that's what the ruck that was in my car weighed. And, and I literally, when I was writing that story, dumped it out on my living room floor one night just to kind of inventory it because I was getting asked a lot of questions as I was writing the story about what would you use for this and how would you do that? And instead of just answering them in the forum, I would answer them in the story by putting it in there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he starts walking, you know, and it's hard on him. It's rough. You know, he's not an athlete or nothing. He's a middle-aged average dad, you know, that works a, uh, not a sedentary job, but not a physically demanding profession either. And so he's having a hard time, blisters and just sore and miserable and can't walk far at a time, having to stop and take breaks. Cause that's the reality of it. People don't realize that. And, and then he comes up against his first actors that are taking advantage of the situation. And that's the scene where Morgan shoots the character called gold dollar simply because he's wearing a hoodie jacket with gold dollar symbols on it. So that's how he identified him just quick on the spot, you know, and he ends up shooting this character. Well, when penguin acquired the book, they're like, that can't happen. And I was like, why not? And they're like, well, Morgan's the good guy. He can't shoot a bad guy for no reason. 
And I was like, everybody reading this book will know why he shot that guy. I don't need to do more than what's there. It's very clear what's happening here. I said, and in, and in that world, that's it's been less than 24 hours now, but already in that world, second place is the first loser. Simple. Right. And they're like, no, we can't do that. You got to do something. The guy's got to hit more and he's got to pull his gun. He's got to do this or do, do that. And I was like, so I started thinking about it and I modified the story to where gold dollar raises his shirt and shows his gun. And I said, that's as far as I'm going to go because now we have an implied threat. And so Morgan reacts immediately and shoots the guy, not what he wants to do. But again, you, you've got to realize when this occurs and there's going to be, there's going to be that moment of hesitation for a lot of people that, that aren't going to realize that, that we have crossed the Rubicon. Right. The event horizon is now behind us. It's no longer before us. And if you're too slow to come to that realization, you're going to probably pay for it, you know, and, and, and at least blood, very likely lives. Um, sadly. And that's just the reality of it. And that's the picture I try to paint is the harsh reality. of it. Like he doesn't have a good walk home, you know? No, no he doesn't. <laughs> you know, he gets shot in the head, you know, by someone he's trying to help because he gives a gun to a girl that don't know how to use one. But in the moment yep. he needs trigger pullers, you know, uh, and he pays that price. So you can't be ready for absolutely everything and you're going to make mistakes and they're going to cost you. You just got to hope that the ones you do make aren't fatal. And that's really how I try to tell that story and moving on the stories, you know, we're, we're 11 books in 12 is, is ready. It's editing's done. We're, we're moving through the paces with, um, in book 11, one of Morgan's kind of core group dies tragically through a disastrous accident. Just something happens. Somebody responds to it and the response is wrong and somebody dies, you know? Yep. And, and again, that's reality. And, and I've killed off several characters in the book. So people get mad at me uh, for killing them. But I'm like, it's a harsh world. You know, nobody's going to live forever. Nobody, not everybody's going to be unscathed. Um, you know, his own daughters get hurt. You know, yep. they get caught in a mortar attack and, and they, they get injured. Um, because there's don't, Russians don't, and Cubans. Don't spoil it for me. I've been in book number two. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give names. <laughs> but I just said they get hurt. Um, but, yeah, characters pay the price. A lot of characters die. Characters get maimed stuff happens, you know, it's a nasty world. So, and I, I, I and I tried to make it like that so people could understand the reality of it. Cause we see too many people on social media, particularly on the right saying they can't wait for this to happen. It's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel and this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, we had army Rangers take serious losses in Somalia with guys that were just shooting over walls, you know, yeah. um, Bullets don't care. Once the trigger is pulled and that hammer drops on that primer and ignites that bullet and it leaves that barrel, at that point, it's physics. It's time and space. If you're in the space where that bullet's going to occupy at the time it's there, you're going to catch one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people making these assumptions that this is going to be some glorious thing. And I don't think they understand just how ugly it's going to be because I study civil conflict all over the world. That's the primary thing I look for and watch to see how they develop. Like I've watched Ukraine since 2014. From from Maidan all the way through. There used to be a fantastic video series on YouTube, which has now been deleted, um, called Roses Have Thorns. It was a 24-hour documentary about what started what's happening in Ukraine right now. And we did it. John McCain was there, Victoria Newland. I mean, you know, we did it. We caused that war. And I, I think people just don't grasp the reality of the situation. I know that they don't grasp what's currently happening in this country and they don't realize that we are in a 
a warm insurgency that is on the cusp of going hot right now. So, well, it's it's interesting. Um, you, you you have people to your point that are calling for civil unrest. They're calling for this stuff to go down, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it almost. Do you think anything? Uh, just the desensitization. Uh, just us being people in general being desensitized through video games and Hollywood and all that stuff. Do you think that's something to do with why they're so eager? Because to your point, I, I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody would really want to go through something as brutal as war on our shores here and with our, you know, with neighbors and with people. I mean, that is unfathomable to think about. And it would yeah. not be glamorous to your point whatsoever, but that's how it no, seems it's, like it's how it's being treated. The cowboy, let's just get this going. But I don't know. Do you think, do, do, just, just, do you think it's been, we've been desensitized just through how much we're exposed to? You think that's the reason why? Or what do you, what well, do you yeah. think? It's desensitization for sure, but but I believe it's deliberate. So the left is being told that they are moral crusaders trying to save the democracy that mm-hmm. we live in. And let's start there. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a representative republic. It's a big difference. Last time we checked. Yep. The left also, if you dig into their media that they put out, all right, and it's not a fun place to operate in because you, you read some horrific crap, all right? Um, but they legitimately think that we are going to meekly march into the bottom of the ditches for them. Like they really think that they're just going to wipe us out. We've got to go like 12 millions. One number that I've read that, that they say that that many people on the right need to be exterminated because they're irredeemable. The right has the same problem in that they're fed up. The right as a whole is, is, and, and of course there's extremist right. There's extremist left, but, as a whole, they're law-abiding, rule-following people, and they believe in the system. And now they're seeing laid bare before them that that is not the case, um, that there is no justice. I call it the just us system because that's how the left sees it. It's, it's their justice and not ours. It's being weaponized against them. But they're still they, – they, they don't want to break that, that thin civil veil that – civil contract that we operate under the right is unwilling to do that because by nature they're they're not aggressive or or violent people or anything like that they're not trying to impose their will or ideas on those some are but as a whole they're not as opposed to the left where <coughs> excuse me, you either agree with their talking points and what they have to say or you're fill in the blank whatever the the, the name du jour is of the day fascist racist transphobe whatever the hell labels they hang on it um and it's interesting watching the propaganda machine that the left has. The right simply does not even possess one. We are so far behind the curve on, on the left, their ability to organize. Mm-hmm. Um, they're funded. They're organized. They can amass people. Um, the right has no mechanism to do that. And I believe part of that is, one, is the right is notorious for eating their own quickly. And two, I believe that there's, there's well, I don't believe. We know for a fact there's massive um, – infiltration in, into the right by the left to keep us from organizing. And most people on the right, in my opinion, are going not going to do a thing until their personal lives are directly impacted as in they can't get food to feed their kids right. or they can't pay their bills anymore because it's a fact that hungry people start revolutions. You know, fat, dumb and happy doesn't start revolutions. Yep. Um, hungry, scared and terrified people. And, and that's where we're, we're getting to that. And so the left is trying to egg on the right, 
trying to get the right. And I believe that's part of what this persecution of Trump is. It's their attempt to incite the right to begin acts of violence so they can claim the moral high ground. If the left acts first, they, they have no legitimate claims and they know yeah. that. So they're really pushing for someone on the right to do something so they can thereby justify their response, um, which I believe is prepared, ready to go. I, yeah. you know, I think they already know what they're going to do. And, you know, and a crisis can trigger something like that, right? And so what you know, what you depict in your books is what Dr. Pry would talk to us about, both on camera, off camera, private conversations mm -hmm. about that. You know, an EMP uh, of that magnitude would be, you know, something that not, is, not only is it devastating, but he, he, he came with a strong opinion that this is a very big potential to happen. He said he was adamant that this is the biggest risk yeah. we face. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you something. I mean, just all the research you've done and everything and, and, all, and all the books and, and, and you know, the, the hardcore research that goes into understanding how to put these characters together and everything and to tell this story. What, what percentage of the population, Chris, do you think would be prepared for something like that to happen? Single digits. Yeah. I, I, literally probably in the one to two percent, maybe, because the prepper community as a whole has has a blinders problem. OK, we're all caught up on a year supply of food and bug out bags and guns and cool guy shit stuff. And, you know, yeah. getting all the cool kit and gear and everybody wants to do that. And that's good. You, you, you know, you do need to do that. But you really need to be thinking long term, um, because if you store 365 days of food, that's awesome. But what are you going to eat on day 366? Right. And these seed vaults that these companies sell, that, you know, in a number 10 can and you throw it in the closets, you need it. And oh, you're going to have a garden. Uh, if you've never gardened before, you you got a learning curve <laughs> coming your sure way. Do. Yeah, a big one. Um, if that's your plan, um, you don't have a plan. You know, you need to have food production before that. Even before even food, though, is is water. So most Americans, I don't know what the exact percentages are, are urban dwellers. They're hosed, totally hosed um, because any water source in an urban area is contaminated. And with that many people in an urban area, you know, we're violating the laws of nature. We're violating the laws of carrying capacity. We're putting too many organisms on too small a footprint of ground. It simply can't sustain them. They're going to have a hard time. Well, now we move into the suburbs and we've got these cookie cutter subdivisions with these HOAs and places I can't imagine why people live in. Um, and they don't have a water source on their property. So when the city water quits or the power goes out and your well no longer works, how are you going to get water? Well, you're going to leave where you are. You're going to go to it. That's your only option. You're going to have to go to the water. And so short of a water source on your property, wherever you are, unsustainable. You can't live there. Now, if you don't have land to grow food on, that's also unsustainable. Um, so those are the two big ones. And that's that probably goes for 99%, 90% minimum, I would say, of Americans. They're urban or suburban dwellers. Mm -hmm. And they don't possess the infrastructure that it takes to sustain their own lives. And that's by design. You know, we're, we're, we're designed to be dependent on the system. This, this incredibly fragile, like a bubble that we live in. Uh, so fragile, you know, anything can destroy this. It's like a glass house built on marshmallows, you know, um, right. it's, it's ready to come down and anything can do it. Like it doesn't have to be an EMP, a cyber attack will do it. You know, yep. they're finding, Chinese back doors and transformers and switch gears and everything else in the world, you know, they could take our power down with nothing. I just recently watched a YouTube video where a, a security company was hired by a electric co-op to see how vulnerable they were. 
Um, and these guys in a couple of days were able to access their main computer. Um, they accessed the building. They got inside, planted their own software on the system so they could remotely access the system, broke into substations. I mean, they, don't, they went anywhere they wanted to, unfettered. There were cameras there and access control, and they got past all of it without a problem. And, and these are good guys. You know, imagine what the bad guys are capable of. So, uh, and, and they're not going to be nice when they do it. You know, <laughs> you're going to know they were there when they leave. So, because you're going to be in the dark. Yeah. Well, you make a good point. Um, uh, we haven't had the, the opportunity to talk to this man, but um, uh, Archbishop Vigano talked about the cyber attack being part mm -hmm. of the Agenda 2030 plan for, you know, <laughs> This whole, this whole, you know, so it seems to be organized plan to take uh, all the governments in the world and put them into one big, cozy, one world totalitarian government, right? And he's talking, he talked about what the, what the game plan is. And that's one of the things he mentioned. He's like, hey, it's going to be a cyber attack and mm -hmm. the internet's going to, you know, there's going to be some type of an impact on the internet, maybe even the power grid. So, um, you know, if that were to happen, right, if there was something like that to your point, whether it was an EMP or anything of that nature that caused something catastrophic where it impacted the lives of people in this country, how, I mean, in your books, there's a, there's a societal collapse that happens, mm -hmm. right? Um, how long do you think it would take for that to occur in, in, in reality? A matter of hours in this, in this hyper-connected world that we live in. And, and the old adage of 72 days to, to chaos, I don't think that's accurate anymore. It'll be, that'll be followed in a matter of hours too. As, I mean, look around, we have people that run into, into retail establishments now, and grab everything they can carry or fill carts and just stroll out. No yeah, one's yeah. stopping them. You know, uh, thefts are up, um, burglaries, robberies of individuals, carjackings, break-ins, all this stuff is up. And, and we're still in a functioning society, suppose. Imagine what happens when that thin veil I talked about early, earlier falls away. These people know that, I mean, right now they know that they don't really have to worry too much about consequences, but when they know absolutely they don't have to worry about consequences, it's gonna be brutality and, and, and barbaric on a level that I don't think people can quite fathom in their heads what's gonna happen. It's gonna be terrible. Because well, when this occurs, it's going to be a zero-sum game. It's going to be for all yeah. the marbles. You know, there's not going to be there, there'll be no quarter on any side, and you won't be able to do that. You know, if you get into a conflict with somebody and you manage to take them as a prisoner, now what are you going to do with them? Yeah, right, exactly, right. And and same for you. You get caught. What do you think they're going to do to you? Right. You know. So this is going to be barbaric. You know, th there's nothing more dangerous on the face of this planet, in my opinion, um, than the American fighting man when he has a just cause. In his heart to do so, and I'm going back to World War II. I'm not even talking about like Vietnam and you know Korea would be a good example, um, only because they were fighting for their damn lives. But Gettysburg, you know, three over three hundred thousand casualties. So the American fighting man is a, is a tremendous force, and we're the most horrific in our killing capacity when we're when we're fighting each other. You know, and so yeah. put modern technology on top of that. It's, it's going to be blood in the streets, literally flowing in the streets, in my opinion. And I, I assume that the people who live like three to five miles away from a giant urban center will be the first targets, right? Well, it, you know, it's, it's going to be like the blob. It's going to start spreading out and consuming as it goes, and it's going to have to keep spreading. And, and, and there will be, be attrition. So the farther away you live, the better off you're going to be. But also the farther away you live from those places, the guys that show up are going to be on their A game. They're going to be good at what they do. So even if you live 
200 miles from a major city. Eventually, some of them are going to get there. Yep. And those guys are going to be really good at what they do by that point. And so it's, you know, that's why you have to have the tribe. You know, no man, woman, or family can be an island and make it through this. You, you, you have to close your eyes. You can only look in one direction at a time. You've got to go to sleep at some point. So you need somebody else who can be watching your back and be awake when you're asleep and all that stuff. And, and, and the right in particular does not have that. Yeah. And great enough depth or enough hard men that they call friends that they know will be there when this occurs for each well, other. And Chris, most, you know, most Americans are, are to a fault, very reliant on the government to mm-hmm. save them when they need help. Right. And, yep. you know, so if that, if that is the direction that they took in an environment like this, because you make it very clear in the books, what, what the Department of Homeland Security and oh. certain agencies would then go and do for their own, for their the own kind purposes. Of, right, for, for yeah. just doing whatever they want to do to society at that point and molding it how they want and, and, and getting controlled opposition out of the, or opposition out of the way, not yeah. controlled. But what, how big of a mistake is that for, for people to rely on government help in a situation like that? Oh, it's terrible. Uh, and, and to the point about the DHS stuff in the books, all of that is from their own documentation. Okay. Mm-hmm. All of the executive orders. Um, I managed to, believe it or not, it's amazing what you can find online. Um, the camp where people are being brought into and being yeah, processed, yeah. that came directly from one of their own documents on how to set that up the classification process, the screening, the whole thing. So, they have these plans in place. We talk about FEMA camps and all that stuff. Well, that's essentially what this is, but they don't have them. Grill them now, getting ready. I don't believe because uh, they'll set these things up wherever, whenever. Um, but society, especially American society, we have been conditioned that nothing is our problem. Like if something's happening, you're having a beef with somebody, you have a problem or whatever. Or even if your toilet doesn't flush, you call a guy. All right, you have a interpersonal conflict with somebody. Something's going on. You argue with your wife. You, you call the police so they can settle it. You're not supposed to settle anything yourself. So they 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 push that that um, dependence. That's what they want. They want you dependent because independent, self-sufficient people are dangerous because they're capable of independent action. They don't need to ask mother may I to do things and they have the ability to weather hardship. Whereas, you know, most people can't withstand a $400 emergency that pops up or pops up in their lives. Um, That's the kind of people that will cede their rights Mm -hmm. and their liberty for protection and security. And that's why we've been doing, that's why they're indoctrinating the children in the schools and they're doing all these things. They're playing the long game and they have been for decades. And we're really starting to see the manifestation of all that now. And people are starting to wake up, but we're behind the curve. They're so far ahead of us um, that in my view, it it leaves only one option to settle this. And and that's gonna be conflict because eventually people on the right are gonna say, "Uh, that's enough. And you're starting to see it, you know, like Loudoun County, the Smith that was arrested up there, yeah, um, and they're trying to railroad him into jail for for saying one word, for saying a word. That's the entire crux of their case. So it's phenomenal what's happening. And they brought a judge out of retirement just to try, just to bench try his case. He wasn't even getting a jury. He's going to get no. a bench trial. They were sending him to jail, probably prison, more than likely. And, and, for, and judges and judges are supposed to be a referee. They're not supposed. I mean, there's. That's not the way things are supposed to work in a in an actual lawful court system. Well, and I said earlier, now it's the just us system. There is no justice system yeah. in this country anymore. It's the just us system. 
And and that's what they're counting on is, is put to push people that direction. Yeah. That's the whole reason they're doing it. So Chris, what do you what are your thoughts on what people should be thinking about right now? I mean, I, you know, for those uh, people who have the wherewithal to look into what's happening in the world, and like we talked about, there's certain groups of people out there. There's people that just don't care. They might know some things. They just don't care. Whatever apathy you know they have, they just they're just living their life. You have people that just don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. You have people that are dipping their toe in. You know, they they might know about a few topics, but they really don't take the time to research things. And you have certain groups of people that escalate from there to to the point where they research research stuff every day and they try to prepare. But for the average person that's trying to figure this out, what do you think they need to do to be prepared as they can be? It, it, it may sound silly, but what I try to tell people is think of think of your life, where you live, your family situation, because I don't know it. You know it. Mm-hmm. And ask yourself, what will kill me first? Okay. If you live in a city, there's a lot of things there that are going to kill you first. So you, you need to take evaluate your situation and think of what's going to kill me first. It's going to boil down to water, food, shelter, security, power, energy, instead of fire in this case, and medical. Those are the things that you need to be able to provide for yourself, independent of any sort of a system. Mm-hmm. Um, because all these systems are going to collapse. And when they do, if you're incapable of solving those needs, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, and it's going to, and you're going to have a hard time. And, you know, people have families and kids and little kids. And, and I feel for anybody who has children these days under say 10, you know, at least a 10 year old, right. they're, they're ambulatory. They can do things on their own and they can function, but they're going to have a hard time too. But anyone, small children, I, you know, like, just take, for example, baby formula. We had that problem here recently. Baby formula was the big thing. Yep. Breastfeeding is, you know, oh, that's, that's, we don't do that no more. You know, we, <laughs> uh, we don't do it. We, we feed them formula. Feed them. Well, you, formula requires a system to harvest the raw materials, process them, package them, transport them, sell them. None of that will exist. How are you going to get formula for your baby? Unless you've got a cow tied up in your backyard. Right you better be looking into breastfeeding. So it's stuff like, and I think most people don't look that deep. They don't even think that deep. And even diapers, like buy cloth diapers, buy a bunch of them, put them away. Sounds gross. What's the alternative? Wrapping them in rags? Take little steps. It, you don't have to go out and break the bank. You know, networking is one of your biggest assets. Um, feeling out your neighbors, feeling out your friends, people you go to church with, people you work with. Not by giving anything away, just by talking about things that are currently happening and, and then maybe throwing out little comments to, to gauge their, take their temperature. And, you know, people who respond negatively to you, you know, respond with them. Yes, nuts, whatever. People who respond receptively, well, then start broadening those conversations. Don't jump into the deep end of the pool and, mm-hmm. hey, you're a prepper, you, you ready for it. You know, <laughs> don't, don't do that. You know, open it up slowly. Because in all honesty, you need people that you have known for most of your life at your side. People that, that you have seen at their worst because that's the environment you're going to be operating in. Um, and people that you see at their best. Um, so you know how they're going to respond. You know, you don't want to, you know, bring bill on board and, and two weeks in bill loses his mind because he just can't handle the pressure or, or whatever. Um, and bill's got a gun now. So, and he's inside our perimeter. we got a problem. Uh, so it's like the old ad- the old adage about when was the best time to plant a tree 10 years ago? When's the next best time today to get started today? If you haven't just start taking small steps, copy canning, buy an extra durable, storable food um, that you can put away. 
And if you're in an urban area, suburban area, start finding ways to store water. Um, can't stress that enough because the gallon a day thing is BS. That's that's if you're in a moderate climate with little to no physical activity. If you live in Texas um, and you're having to walk to a pond that says thousand meters from your property every day to get water, you're going to need more than a gallon a day. You're going to drink that much or more. And then you've got cooking and sanitation and all the other stuff that goes with it. So you're going to need a lot of water and people underestimate how much water they're going to need. And water's heavy, you know, I mean, it's eight pounds a gallon. So mm -hmm. it's not very portable. Right. <laughs> it's also bulky. It takes a lot of space. It certainly so, does. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a little bit uh, in pre-show just about, you know, you know, some people can kind of see the forest or the trees here, what's going on. Others are having a harder time. Have you had any, for two, I guess two questions wrapped into one. Um, have you, have you had success with you, even when your books are technically in the fiction category, have your books been able to help to kind of wake people up to reality? And oh, have yeah. you had any other methods of doing so? Yeah. The, the books, I get a lot of messages from people that, that say that they read my, I mean, and made, profound changes to their lives, sold their homes in California, quit their jobs and okay. moved to move to Missouri and bought a homestead and wow. talk about how much better their quality of life is, how much more time their family has together. While at the same time, they're building that resiliency to withstand the hardships that they know are coming. And I get a lot of messages like that. And, and that those are the ones that mean the most to me. I mean, the, Hey, I love your books and they're great. That's awesome. Love hearing that. But when I hear that people read them, looked around and went, oh, crap, we need to make some changes and then did those changes, acted on it. It's, it's you know, it gave them a leg up, you know, because we're all going to crash. It's just how hard are we each individually going to crash when this happens? Some of us, we're not going to just, you know, lawn dart in. Some of us going to kind of glide in and slide to stop and still be rough. But we're not going to lawn dart in and be dead mm -hmm. at the moment, you know. So that's what I love to hear. Um, that maybe it helps somebody's life and to improving their just general quality of life, you know, sure. They got away from a city or got away from the BS or moved out of States that were not conducive to their viewpoints and morals and stuff. Even better. I tell people all the time, vote in your feet, whether it's retail or city, county, state, whatever, vote in your feet, you know, um, go where you're respected and wanted and don't try to stay in places where you're not just get the hell out because when it does happen, and you are the minority in viewpoint or opinion, you're going to suffer. Yeah. So it's just best not to be there. So Chris, you said a couple of times, you know, when this occurs and when this does happen, um, what do you think the likelihood is that we are going to see major hardship in this country? And, um, you know, I guess what's, what, what do you think the likelihood is that, that we're going to have some things happen like that, that we just, that most people just don't have on their radar? hundred percent. Um, and currently I'm looking at second quarter of 2024 as being a real flashpoint because the economy is going to 2024. Yeah. Next year. Um, the economy, no one's going to be able to deny the state of the economy by that point. It's going to be plainly written for all to read and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what the media says about it. Uh, the other thing is the election and the, the current persecution of Trump and all the gerrymandering and crap that they're doing. And we know the last election was rigged. Um, there's just too much evidence of it. You know, um, if Dinesh D'Souza can do 2000 mules on his own, why can't the DOJ come up with this information? The answer, they don't want to, you know? No. So, and that's, again, that's, that's the people looking at it and going, Oh, 
these guys are all lying to us and they're all criminals and nothing's going to happen to them. But when some of us step up and say, hey, this is wrong, they jail you, you know, hold you in solitary confinement, destroy your life, lose your job, just destroy you because you had a different opinion. And that's what's driving this now. And as and I said earlier, that's why they're pushing so hard. They want yeah. the people to snap so that they can try to claim the moral high ground. So the, 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 I know we're running up against it, Chris, but, uh, the books that you've put together, um, like I said, the first, the first two that we've both listened to are, are superb, man. Um, it's actually inspired us to try to get more prepared for things. And one of those things is to actually have a, uh, you call it a ruck, right? Yeah. To have a, to have a, a, a you know, a preparedness bag and, and everything like that. Much Should to it, my sh- wife's, much to my wife's chagrin as things <laughs> show up on Amazon about every day. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get told all the time. I get people, you don't have no idea how much money you cost me. And I was like, well, if you'd have been doing it the whole time, you wouldn't have yeah. to do that. It's like my, my good friend Alan Kay says, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. That's so, a good point, man. That's a good stay point. Stay ready. Should everybody have bags like that, Chris? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, even FEMA recommends that you have a bag capable of supporting you for three days. Um, my bags, I don't build my bag to say this bag will support me for three days. Mm-hmm. My bag, if I have that, I can live indeterminate amount of time. Okay. Um, not comfortably, not happily. I'm going to be a miserable, whiny, grumpy, ass during those times but it will keep me alive and and i've got the knowledge and skill sets to utilize the tools that i take to be way more comfortable than the average guy would caught in that position um you know i've been doing this stuff for close to 30 years from i started off in like primitive skills you know rubbing sticks together that kind of thing up to what i call modern prepping where i believe and i'm a firm proponent in carrying the proper gear to ensure my survival regardless of the situation and that means just being ready. You know, if, if I'm going to leave home and go to Colorado, I'm taking cold weather kit with me. I don't care what time of year it is, because if I get stuck in Colorado, I need cold weather kit. Uh, you know, it's just thinking things out and, and sure. play it out the possibilities. And, and a lot of people don't want to do that. Oh, that's unpleasant. I don't want to think about it. It's going to be a hell of a lot more unpleasant if you get caught in it unprepared. You know, the thought of unpleasantness really? won't even enter your mind. So um, I think everybody should. Yeah. What, what? How? How would they determine what to put in the bag, Chris? Do you have um, insight into that? Obviously, you do have insight into that. But do yeah. you have any resources where people can go look and see? Hey, what should I do? What should I put in my in my bag to have with me to to give myself the best chance of being prepared for something like like this? That's really hard to say because I don't. I, every individual is different. Every individual's yeah. needs and skill set is different. Okay. Um, Alan Kay could hit the woods with his kukri man, that guy's going to be fine. Um, most people can't do that. You know, I mean, I could hit the woods with my kukri and I'll be even more grumpy and miserable, but I can do it too. Um, so I don't, you know, your medical situation is, is dependent, you know, there's too much dependent, but again, it goes back to water, food, and not even really food in a, in a three day bag, but water, food, shelter, security, medical, and energy. Yeah. Um, those are the things that you need to a lot for. Um, but also the basics. What are you wearing? All right. If you work in an office and you're going to work in heels or, or, or wingtips or something, you, your bag better include suitable footwear and, and proper clothing for what you're about to do. You don't want to try to walk home and, you know, heels from the office sure. or a skirt, yep. you know. So you really got to think things out. And, and how far? Like, all right, if my drive to work is 15 minutes, I don't even need a bag. I could use a little sling bag. You know, I don't need a full ruck. 
But if my drive to work is 45 minutes or an hour, then I need to pack a little bit more. If, if I'm going to be hundreds of miles from home, that's an entirely different situation too. So it, it, it depends on each individual and their skill set. The more you know, the less you got to carry. So to give people context, how far, how far was Morgan away from home when everything went down and going home? 250 miles. And how long did it take him? Over a month, a little over a month. So that gives, that gives you all context. Yeah. It is not, it, it, it's a long time. To yeah, go 10 miles. Very, and you yeah. might be walking through swamps, you might be walking through yards, you might be walking, you don't you try to avoid highly populated areas because you don't know what people are going to do, um, how desperate they are, and they might might want to know what you got with you, right? Oh, they 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 always will. And and in that world, you have to assume everywhere is a non-permissive environment. Okay. I can't diddy bop down the road like Joe Lobcop can kicker because everybody is a threat. Everybody is. Yeah. Um whether they act that way initially or not, you have to perceive every individual you come to. That'll that'll say, you know, um, be polite to everyone, but have a plan to kill them. You know, that's kind of the mindset that you need to to get a hold of real fast. So, um, Chris, I know, I know. Again, like I said, we're running up against our time, but uh, where can people find your work? Uh, I know, obviously, on Amazon you can find yeah. your work, but um, uh, where can they find your new book? Because you you have a new book coming. You have a new release that's just been released in a different book yeah. series, um, Charlie's Requiem Contagion, yep. Yep. and um, you also have a new book coming out in the Survivalist series uh, yep. that's going to be exploring home. Um, so, where where is the best place for them to find your work? Amazon really okay. is kind of the, the, the elephant in the room. Um, yep. Some of them are in bookstores, um, not all of them. Um, but yeah, Amazon's the best place okay. to get them. And, and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the stuff. I'm all over all that crap too. Okay. Uh, I don't like it, but it's a necessary <laughs> evil, so I do it. But, uh, but and what about you? Have a you have a podcast? So what about your podcast? Yeah. Where can people find your podcast and then also your new website that you're about to be uh, releasing? Yeah, the, the podcast is on pretty much all the major platforms for podcast. Uh, it's done on Wednesdays. There's myself, um, Robert Toombs of Mountain Readiness, Emory Morgenstern with Prime Combat Training and Tactical Rifleman, and then Sue LaRue of Tactical Rifleman as well and the other stuff he does. So it's the four of us, and you know we usually have a guest. We try to get the four of us. It's hard to get four guys to get their schedules together, especially these guys because they deploy and they do stuff all the time. But uh, we, we talk about what's going on, you know, in the, in the current world. Um, and it's interesting because like Emory Morgenstern is Israeli. So it's it's an interesting, he has an interesting take on stuff. You know, Sue LaRue's been around the world. He's in the French Foreign Legion. He's done all kinds of stuff, Green Beret. Um, so these guys have a depth of knowledge that's incredible. You know, uh, Bob Toombs, you know, he didn't live in a house, literally didn't live inside of a building until he was 17 years old. So he, he lived in the woods in a tent, <laughs> bathed in the creek. So these guys have a broad um, body of, of experience, life experience under their belts, and, and they're yeah. very insightful. So, Well, yeah. folks, that podcast is uh, Angry American Nation yeah. Podcast. Uh, that link is going to be in the description, along with uh, Chris's new website, which is angryamerican.com. Not uh, live yet. Not live yet. Not- but it will be okay. It will be. So, all right. So we will, we will, we will add that, Chris. Once that goes live, we'll keep post. Yeah. You know, and, yep. and we'll keep tabs on that. Um, listen, before we let you go, brother, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Uh, I think people need to pay attention. Um, stop watching the news. All right. Alternative media is where you're going to find a lot more. Like, like these guys. You guys are doing a fantastic job. 
I went through your back catalog and, and watched a bunch of your stuff. Um, alternative media and and raise your awareness. Okay, stop believing everything you're hearing and and trust but verify. Remember what Reagan said, um, and not so much even on the trust, heavy on the verification, uh, and open your eyes. You know, you got to understand that everything you hear and everything you read, especially today, is propaganda from the left, from the right, from whoever. Um, from the WEF, from China, from Russia, from it's coming at you. It's like a fire hose to the face all day long. Um, and, and so you need to develop sources that you trust and, and be able to verify things. Like I don't believe something's going on until I find three sources that I trust that are all telling me the same thing. Then I believe it. Um, and I usually look for more than that. But open your eyes and, and, and get ready, folks. Um, the economy is fixing to be really bad. I mean, from personal experience right now, I'll tell you, I know the economy is bad because I'm having to help a lot of people right now. I'm giving money out to people who are in desperate, dire situations now. Wow. And we're still supposedly Bidenomics is saving the world and inflation doesn't exist and unemployment super low and all this stuff, all these lies, they tell you. Um, so, yeah, when, when the when the balloon goes up, it's going to be a hell of a lot worse. Um, and when you look around, you would be the guy that looks around and goes, oh, no, what do I do now? Yeah. That's that's not a plan. Hope is not a plan. And what would you say, Chris, to some the, to the folks that are just choosing to ignore this, just thinking it's going to go away? I came up with a phrase for this uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago, and and I said that when this game kicks off, it will not be a um, a uh, an observer sport. You're not going to be able to sit and watch it. Participation will be mandatory. You will participate whether you want to or not, and if that means dying in your doorway in the first few hours because you don't prepare. And, and I've had people tell me that, oh, I'm going to be one of the first ones to go. Good. For, all right. If that's your plan, I'm sure you'll work that out. Um, you know, you're going to participate whether you want to or not, you know, unless you're going to commit suicide. That's the only way to get out of it. And that's not really a plan, especially if you got a wife and kids and family and stuff. Yep. Um, I would like to hope that some of us want to influence the outcome of uh, the forthcoming festivities. Hopefully enough of us. Amen, brother. Well, hey, this has been absolutely awesome. Um, just if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you have a few, just a few minutes, hang on real quick. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'm good. And then um, yeah. just uh, just God bless you, man. God bless the work that you're doing and how intense and knowledgeable you are about all these items. And the just like I said, folks, I cannot tell you enough just how how good of the quality of work that Chris's books are. Um, I appreciate they're just, that. They're just, they're just fantastic. <laughs> I mean, they, they literally hook you immediately. Um, but just God bless your brother and uh, God bless everybody out there listening right now. We appreciate you more than you could possibly imagine. Um, and as always, God bless this great Republic. If we can keep absolutely <laughs> by, if we by, can keep by all means, uh, we need to keep this Republic. And uh, it's the only, it's the last leg standing in the world folks for, for, you know, the potential for a free, absolute, you know, free nation and, and free living. So uh, that being said, Chris, have a good one, brother. Everybody be out there. Uh, everybody out there be safe and well until next time. Um, have a great evening, everybody. Thanks for having me, guys.